You're listening to Japan Baseball Weekly. News, interviews, analysis, and hot takes about all 12 NPB teams. Hosted by Jim Allen and John E. Gibson. Hi, and welcome to the Japan Baseball Weekly Podcast. It's for the week of June 20th. I'm John Gibson, and with me on a sticky Sunday night is my buddy Jim Allen. How you doing, man? I'm sticking. <laughs> Turn me over. I'm done on this side. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> what are you, a piece of bacon? Come on now. <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> Unless my Extra wife crispy, please. <laughs> Indeed. Until she turns up the heat on the air fryer. <laughs> oh man well we got so much to go to go through tonight we're not gonna have time for fun and, and jokes but uh, on this week's show we've got a conversation with mark simon of sports info solutions we're going to talk about yet another no hitter look at the two league races and discuss the conversion of akiro neo to pitcher on the dragon so let's start swinging clearing the bases <laughs> All right, so Mark Simon, he donated his precious time to JBW about 10 days ago. And quite honestly, I have been a big fan of his for a number of years listening to him on Baseball Today. And I think when he was on most often, it was uh, Eric Carabell who was doing the the main uh, hosting on that show. And so before the name changed to the Baseball Tonight with Buster Olney, it was Eric Carabell and whomever would come on the show. And Mark has been, basically, he was the statistical presenter who would come in and, and just present statistical analysis about what was going on in major leagues. And so uh, he he just does it in such an easily comprehensible and consumable way On in this format. It's very hard to present these figures, you know, when you can't see them, there's no visuals. So he he's quite brilliant and he loves sports and you can tell that and you can tell the way he sets up and, and delivers the figures to you in such a easy, easily comprehensible way. And then there was one note on this chat that we set up, we, you know, I had talked to him, I had no earthly idea that Bobby Scales was working for Sports Info Solutions and we had Bobby on, I don't know, maybe five, six episodes ago. And it's, <laughs> we wanted to let that that interview, the Bobby Scales interview, breathe. So I said, Mark, why don't I call you maybe sometime in June and we'll do the interview then. And uh, he said, sure. So when we were setting up the time to talk, uh, I just I, I can be pushy, but not not in a in a pushy way. I'm very subtle about it. So we had previously discussed that we would we would be talking in June. So I just hit him with a with a DM saying, how about Tuesday for an interview? And this was, like I said, about 10 do- days ago. Well, Mark came back with me and it came back to me and he said, yes, I can do the chat on Tuesday, but it has to be before 8 p.m. my time. Well, I looked at the calendar and I thought, oh, OK, he wants to watch the New York Rangers hockey game because <laughs> I knew he was a big I know he's a big sports fan, but I knew the, the Rangers were playing in the playoffs and. And in fact, when I jumped online with him, he said, yes, that is indeed the case. I do want to watch the Rangers game. So we got in and got talking and got it done in time for him to get to the Rangers game. Unfortunately, I believe they lost that game and lost the series. And we're watching uh, the Colorado Avalanche now take uh, <laughs> take care of the Lightning for the first two games, at least. But anyway, Sports Info Solutions. Like I said, it might sound familiar, and he has been working there for a while, and and he does so much uh, for that company. 
I thought he was in charge, but he's not. But anyway, we talk about uh, Seiya Suzuki. We talk about a lot of Japanese players, and it's really a great listen. So here's Mark Simon. We are glad to be joined by Mark Simon, sports information solutions writer, podcaster, social media guru. And he is here to talk about uh, Japanese players in Major League Baseball as well as Japanese players in Japan. So thank you very much for joining us today. It's good to be here. Uh, yes, uh, Sports Info Solutions located in uh, the Lehigh Valley part of Pennsylvania. I think we're uh, a few thousand miles away from uh, from you at the moment. <laughs> it's just a little, just a little ways. But we're we you know we both like hockey, and so we are we are together <laughs> in our love for sports. So uh, now you guys compile a lot of information and sports and stats on Japanese players. So uh, and I know you do some things on MPB. So. Uh, we want to get into hard hit rate first. In in MPB, who are the players with the hardest hit rate uh, going so far this season? So uh, let's explain what th- what this is just to set everything up here. We're looking at every at-bat by every hitter uh, in Japan. We track where the ball went and essentially how quickly it got there. So it's not just the exit velocity, it's the overall velocity. And we're looking and we have a different standard of what we would call hard hit for balls that are hit at angles, like a ball down the line versus a ball that's straight away versus a ball that's in the gap. And we look at that uh, from, again, every at-bat. And if you hit the ball hard by our system, you get essentially a credit for doing that. If you strike out or you don't hit the ball hard, you get a a zero, essentially. So it becomes a percentage uh, where we would say, okay, this player has hit the ball hard this percent of the time. Uh, Your leader in Japan is not surprisingly your guy with lots of home runs, uh, Hotaka Yamakawa, uh, whose hard hit rate by our measures, is above 28%. That's really good uh, for Japanese baseball. He's the the top of the, the list there. What gets interesting is because of the way that we do this, the list becomes a combination of home run hitters and then guys that don't strike out. Uh, because right. that way they're not getting zeros. They're, they're getting more opportunities to get ones, a credit for getting a hard hit ball because they do put the ball in play. So you get names like uh, Toshiro Miyazaki. Uh, You get Hayato Sakamoto. Um, As I said, you get some some names maybe that you wouldn't necessarily expect. Uh, And then you go back to the home run hitters and Yusuke Oyama. Um, And another guy that's up there in the top 10 is Munotaka Murakami. Okay. but it's it's a as I said it's an interesting list. The one guy I would say that's in the top ten that you might kind of be like, well, that's a little unusual because he's hitting about two ten and he doesn't have a lot of home runs right now. And that's Jose Marmaleos, uh, who ranks eighth uh, in hard hit rate. He has had uh, forty four hard hit balls so far this season, which is a pretty good number. He just hasn't necessarily turned all of those into hits. Which is why he's continuing to get at-bats and opportunities because they're looking at, yeah, the teams don't focus solely on what the average says. They look at what you're doing with the ball. So uh, the fans keep looking at the numbers and the the team keeps looking at the details. So, yeah, that, that makes sense. What about on the pitching side? 
So on the pitching side, it becomes much more of a list of like what you would expect because you're looking at like guys that strike people out at a very high rate. And the guys that do that tend to not allow hard contact. So not surprisingly, Senga is number one. Uh, his hard hit rate is eight and a half percent, which if he was to replicate that in the major leagues, he would win the Cy Young every year. Without question. <laughs> what I yeah, a big fan favorite too over here. Right. And Suzaki and Christopher Mercedes are both next on the list. Uh, they're both at 10% right now. And again, we, we know what Suzaki uh, can do. Mercedes, I think what this list does is it kind of allows you to say, okay, uh, I'm looking for a way to establish among all these really good guys who's the best or who's the second best or the third best. And this kind of gives you another tool besides ERA with which to do that. Sure. So you have those three guys are your top three. Uh, Then you have Tomoyuki Sagano uh, is just over 10%. And then you get into Ozeki uh, and Nishi uh, are at, uh, just under 12%. And then you get Aaron Wilkerson and KG Takahashi are each right at around 12%. Uh, those are your your top 10 guys. Yeah, that's uh, Tomohisa Ozeki, who's uh, of the SoftBank Hawks. Yeah, so, all right. Yeah, appreciate that. Now, I know you have some numbers on defensive run saves, and I know you do your Fielding Bible. The Fielding Bible Awards, yep. Awards each year. And we had some discussion about who was should be where and all those things. But I, I like the fact that you, you guys are doing it, and I appreciate it. So defensive runs saved, who is doing well and uh, who is costing their teams? So I want to establish again what this is first. And this is sure. like an advanced way to keep track of fielding. We have people that are watching every uh, ball that is contacted in every game, uh, and we're establishing... Like, if you make a play deep in the hole, uh, it has more value than if you make a play on a ball that's hit right to you. Or if you're an outfielder and you catch a ball deep in the gap near the warning track, uh, it has more value than the ball that's hit where it hangs up in the air for six seconds and you're just kind of camping under it. So we have that. We also have things that are position-specific. Like, we don't just tell you, okay, this guy turned... 75 double plays, we would tell you this guy turned 75 double plays out of 100 uh, opportunities where he had a chance to turn a double play. So we can establish a double play rate uh, in addition to the pure number of double plays that he turned. Then there are other things that we can track, like home run robberies, right? Like you're literally saving runs there, so you need to get credit for literally going over the fence and taking away runs. Or throwing a guy out at the plate, particularly if you're an infielder. If there's a ground ball a second with a guy on third base and you throw the ball home and the guy's out at the plate, you get a little spike for that uh, in defensive runs saved. So it rewards players that do things beyond just the most basic aspects of fielding the ball. And the disagreements uh, that we ran into are not surprising, given that you're where you are and where where we are, and we don't necessarily um, see every aspect of things uh, when it comes to positioning or just certain things that aren't as easy to pick up on. But we would tell you that our numbers are better than not having our numbers. And we find that teams have found them uh, to be useful. Sports Info Solutions, the way that our company uh, functions, we sell our data 
to about 20 uh, of the major league teams. Um, and they use it in evaluating players and trying to come up with strategy. So with all that said, when you look at the NPB and the best players uh, defensively, uh, I think it starts with Ryosuke Kikuchi, uh, who this year has what we would refer to as 12 defensive runs saved. Now, if you look at the five years for which we've tracked this, he's had 16, which was the most for second base. Then he Mm -hmm. had 13, which was the most for second base. Then he had 12, which was the third most for second base. Then he slipped to two last year. And the reason for that, by our perception, was that he didn't get to as many balls in the first base, second base hole as he previously did. Mm -hmm. So he slipped in that area. This year, he's cleaned that up. Whatever has happened, whether it's been how they position him or whether it's been some sort of skill-based adjustment on his part, uh, he's, he's been much better at that. And as a result, he has 12 defensive runs saved, which are the most for second baseman this year. So I would pinpoint him as a high-end defender. And I know that award season, he tends to do very well in that. Yeah, um, Yosuke Kikuchi is one of my favorite players in, in, in Japanese baseball. So yeah, that's good to hear. And he's he's been uh, very very good this year. Even as I know you noted, he's he's aged a little bit. I want to also <laughs> I want to point out two other players. One is in center field. Uh, this one I'm wondering if we might have a difference of opinion on, and that would be Ito Takeda, who this season uh, has kind of split time between center field and right field. Last year he played almost exclusively right field. And by our measures, he did very well. He caught the balls that were hit in front of him. He caught the balls that were hit to medium depth. He did all right on the balls that were hit deep. Uh, He threw a few guys out and he wound up as the number one right fielder in defensive runs saved. Uh, This year, splitting time between center and right, he's been okay in right by our measures. Not a lot of innings to go by. Not a lot of innings to go by in center either, but at least with what we have to work with, his numbers are good there. Uh, he's been the, the best uh, center fielder through the early part of the season. And again, small sample. It's like 160 sure. innings. So it's not necessarily something that would be particularly like predictive at this point. You wouldn't necessarily say, oh, next year he's going to do this. Uh, but so far this year, he's been... Um, He's been solid. And then gotcha. the uh, the other guy that I would cite in center, by the way, is uh, Koji Chikamoto. Uh, he is second in defensive run saved. Uh, and I know he's pl- he plays center field regularly. Uh, and he's totaled four runs saved, which is a perfectly decent total. Uh, last year, he was not particularly good in center field by our measures. So uh, this uh, I'll be curious to see if that holds up for him. Uh, the thing about Aito Takeda is that Last year, I think uh, he was a kind of a pudgy little right fielder who I don't think uh, I, I can't say that batters were targeting him, obviously. But I think the pitching staff pitched that way that they could get weak contact to the right side. And he just happened to make some plays. But he came into this season. He has lost some weight. He looks a lot better physically. And uh, I've seen him make a few good plays in center field and actually been not impressed, but I, I was at the point where I said, okay, well, he, he's competent at this position. I don't think it's a joke that he's out there in center field. So I, I just wanted to add that. 
okay, so that's fair. And that actually goes to something that happens with defensive run save sometimes. The two ways that you can do really well in it are you can be great and you can play whatever amount that you play, uh, or you can uh, or you can just be consistently good and have a lot of balls hit to you and rack up uh, the run save that way just because you get a small credit a lot of times instead of a, uh, you know, a few large credits and they add up and you wind up doing well. The other guy I want to point out, and this is, I think, partially uh, somewhat quirky for the way that our system is, is Haruki Nishikawa. Uh, he has he has basically, uh, I don't want to say broken defensive run saves at this point, but he has an unusually high total. And what happened there is he moved from center to left. And I'm looking at his center field numbers right now, and if he was in the States, he would never have gotten out of the minor leagues with his defensive numbers uh, in center field. But <laughs> when you put him in left field, and uh, I, I'm guessing based on his numbers that he plays pretty shallow uh, because he's doing remarkably well on balls that are hit shallow, and he has nine throwouts um, uh, assists without a cutoff man. Uh, he has 16 defensive runs saved, which quite frankly is a somewhat absurd number uh, for this point in the season, and it's a product of those those throwouts. I don't know that he necessarily has a great arm, but people are running on him and they're not getting anywhere on him. Uh, and he has found left field to be very much to his liking this year. Yeah. Now we don't always get to see the positioning either, but I would say there are two factors. One is he is playing a little bit shallow. And the other one is that I don't think, uh, you know, this, that throw is a little bit easier to make when you're throwing guys yep. out at third base and, and, and home, uh, from left field than it is from center field. So that's a factor. He's not throwing the ball as far and he's an accurate thrower. And uh, I don't think a lot of teams, because up to now, I think he has those assists against Pacific league teams. So they have seen him. He's 31. Uh, they have seen him over his career. They know basically that, you know, he's, he's got a, a fairly good arm, but they, they have been challenging him. And uh, yeah, obviously not doing so well, but yeah, you said it <laughs> absurd is one way to put it, but it's ridiculous. So yeah, yeah, but that's fun. He has resurrected his career for sure. All right. Yep. So uh, moving on now, when import players, Americans or, uh, Latin American players come to Japan. They usually, in the preseason, in the spring training period, and the preseason, endure this, I guess, feeling out phase in which teams just throw them pitches and see what their weak spots and what their strong suits are. And uh, conversely, I think when Japanese imports go to the major leagues, there's kind of a feeling out period. And I think it can be in the preseason. I think Shohei Otani actually struggled his first year as a rookie in the preseason. And all of a sudden, when the lights came on, he started hitting. Uh, he did make some changes and adjustments to his swing and his mechanics and all that. But uh, I think it was kind of a surprise that he hit so well right away. Now, Seiya Suzuki has gone to the Cubs, and I think initially he had some success. And now I think he's taken a lot of called strikes and he's struggling a little bit. But what have you seen or what can you tell us about his uh, initial adjustment period to MLB. Yeah, I think that you hit on something with the taking uh, a lot of strikes. So I've got a list of things uh, that I wrote down. One of them was that his eye is elite. Uh, he's in the top 6% in the sport in not uh, in avoiding swinging at bad pitches. So his chase is really low, which is great. That's what you would want. And that probably isn't necessarily that surprising. Um, but he is striking out a lot. He's 
taking strikes, and he's making less contact inside the strike zone than most of the hitters in Major League Baseball. Not like super bad, but like he's below average uh, with regards to that. His when he hits the ball, he's he's hit the ball pretty well. His, uh, his exit velo is good. His uh, barrels uh, rate, uh, meaning like the most ideal contact, um, he's pretty good. He's very good uh, with regards to that. Um, he's top third in what they call, uh, in what we call 90 foot speed. And then he's even better when it comes to kind of like a peak speed. Uh, so he's been good there. But one thing that I think has happened is pitchers have realized this first couple of weeks, he was getting hits on balls right down the middle. So if you look at the pitch pattern, comparing those first three, four weeks when he was good with the rest of the time that he's been here, he's seen more pitches up top. He's seen more pitches down low. He's seen less in the zone that's of uh, quality. And he's been susceptible to things like a good changeup or a good cutter. Uh, And it hasn't necessarily gone as well for him. He's also hitting the ball in the air a little uh, too much. I think to produce good results, given how he plays. Uh, so I think that's that's where we are with him. He's he had that initial period that where he thrived. Now he's had this taste of uh, things being not as good, uh, and we'll see where he lands. I think overall, like grand scheme of things, I think he's doing all right. Like the the OPS plus, which is what we would use to you know just say how is he compared to the league average. He's almost twenty percent above. So you'll, I think you would take that. Uh, every time, but there have been some weak spots found in his game. Sure. All right. Well, listen, we could talk all day, it seems, uh, about Japanese baseball, and I think you guys are doing really good work and and providing major league teams with uh, good information, but we're going to have to wrap it up for today. So can we have you back on again sometime? Absolutely. All right. Well, we really appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule, and good luck to your Rangers. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Hope hope they do well, and uh, we'll talk to you again. You got it. All right. Thanks again, Mark. Really, really appreciate it. And, and uh, like I said, really am serious about getting you on again later in the season. But what stuck out for you, Jim? Well, I enjoyed um, listening to Mark. I think we just briefly chatted a few years ago when he, when they were uh, diving into Japanese baseball. And, oh, geez, whole whole mess of things, <laughs> of course, because this is sort of the what I spend my life doing is looking at at baseball stuff and trying to figure out, well, what does this mean? And what does that mean? Uh, I think uh, it was really fun. And I think, as you said, I think the thing he does so well is sort of uh, explain enough of the threads that go into the figures that they arrive at Mm -hmm. that you get an image of what they're trying to measure. I really like that. Um, I guess what I would want to say is that, you know, these are, of course, algorithms. And so they're susceptible to, you know, kind of human biases. Okay. How many runs saved is really a guess. But it's, you know, it's, it's a guess that's on the, you know, on the route towards building, building knowledge. So, you know, that's the way it works. Uh, As they, you know, they start with something like, uh, the assign values for certain plays, as he said, you know, so the, right. the play into the hole by the shortstop is a, gets more value than the play, uh, you know, a step to his left or so on and so forth. Right. And, then, and then the more 
records they have of different plays over the more the, over more seasons, the more they learn about the value of those relative plays. So that that mm -hmm. was kind of fun, and I'm sure they've got just um, I don't know what what's a thousand terabytes, but they've probably got um, they got a zillion of those by now. Uh, but defense remains one of those fuzzy areas in in stats because you know we're working on it, but it's still to some extent like like trying to figure out, um, try to actually measure an object and its precise dimensions by looking at the shadow it casts. Hmm, that's very yeah, that's very good. So I like that. So you've been you've been working at this, Jim, huh? Yeah, well, I, you know, I, this is something I really I think a lot about this stuff too. So, you know, how can you, you know, how can you measure? How can you put this? They're trying, and then of course they're trying to put it on a two dimensional scale when it's something that's three dimensional, which is right. also hard. Uh, so that was interesting, and I, I think the Nishikawa discussion was really interesting, and almost I anticipated. Uh, that he would lead the way because uh, all the teams running into his arm, you know, running into outs against him. Right. Which sort of, which is, which is weird, but you know, you got to give somebody credit for that. <laughs> you know, you can't, okay. you, you can't, you, you really should punish the teams that run against him more than anything because the system isn't really built. As soon as he said he broke the system, I knew exactly what he meant. The system, the algorithm isn't built to anticipate a guy who would be on pace to, to have 30 outfield assists in a year. <laughs> more. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. <laughs> so, and I see the way they're judged. And I think Delta graphs has a similar thing in which he's, you know, he's gone from being an, an ordinary outfielder to the best outfielder in Japan. Right. And which we know, which we know isn't, we know, which we know isn't true, but it's, you know, it's again, it's a product of the algorithm. And one of the things that, and I have to ask you, does it make sense to you that a player of given defensive abilities would become a better, a, a more valuable defensive asset would have more val defensive value in another position, in a in a less demanding position. Um, yes and no. I mean, because if you are a person who, it depends on what your skill set is. So if you have a first, a quick first step, you're good at judging balls. But the farther you have to go to get the ball, the less the less opportunity you're going to have to catch it because you're a slow runner. But if you don't have to go as far like he does in left field and you do have that first step that's a really good quick burst and you do read the ball really well it, it might benefit you to not have to go as far <laughs> so it's possible that's possible it, and I yeah see i mean I, I can i can see how it would work out that way and the numbers would would relay that to us yeah but, but is what, it what, is what, it actually true he's the same guy he's got yeah. the same skills He's just in a different position, catching balls coming at him in, See, one in, of the at a things, different angle. One of the things that, uh, and I, I can't be specific about their algorithm because I don't know what it is and I don't know about war. But one of the, the things about uh, like war is that they compare you to your peers. Mm. So what you have is a guy who was an, a below average center fielder is now heads and shoulders 
above the other left fielders. And therefore, and because he's so far ahead of the left fielders, he suddenly looks like the best outfielder in Japan. And this is <laughs> part, you know, one of the algorithm things that we get. Um, although I was surprised that it didn't have a big impact on, on them naming Kikuchi because most algorithms will give more value to shortstops in general. Um, but, but again, it depends on what you do with it. But I, I certainly agree with you that there are, there are quirks and niches mm-hmm. that can play into guys' skills. But I, I think when you're talking about, you know, especially if you're moving um, third, you know, short to third or third to second or something like that, they're, they're quite extreme. But moving from, from center to left, I'm thinking, well, okay, maybe his only defensive asset was a quick release and an accurate arm which meant that every ball he threw from center field died before it got to second base. But sure. from left field, he, left field, he looks like uh, Bo Jackson yeah. in the numbers. Yeah. So. And yeah, the guys, the cutoff man can get out a little deeper and he doesn't have to throw the ball as far anyway. And hmm. he's good at that. Yeah. So obviously, <laughs> yeah, that's, that is, but I, yeah, but anyway, so the, there are things. And like I said, you know, they, they set up a, they set up a framework and they compare you to your peers and you get things like, you remember how it was in the American league, uh, you know, around 1995 when it was Nomar Garcia Parra and Derek Jeter and, Alex Rodriguez, you uh-huh. know, the average shortstop in the America, the level was very high for the average shortstop in the American league. So and, uh, a lot of ordinate, well, and it, although I don't want to get into Alex um, to uh, Derek Jeter's defense. I don't want to, to uh, rip on it again tonight, but, <laughs> but for example, they compared the, the, the offense, I think in war used to, at least it, when it was just first being developed, compared the offense. So how much better were you offensively than the average shortstop? Well, if you were in the American league that year, you're pretty much, you're pretty, you're pretty jump, much, yeah. yeah, you had a hole. You had to climb out of a hole to be, to be considered, uh, not a negative player. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so those are the things, you know, the, the, the things we all deal with. But I thought that was fun. I, I did love the, the discussion of Seiya Suzuki. So that was so much fun. And I appreciate your, uh, the kind of stuff that you were asking. That was fun. Mm, all right. Yeah, I, you know, I'm, it's, it's no shock in some aspects about who the leaders are in the categories that uh, Mark gave for us. And those are good numbers to know. And Actually, when we get later in the season, I really want to go back and find out uh, who these uh, who the players are at the end of the season. But I I, I don't think it's a big surprise. I, I I told him that I and he even said it in terms of the you know the hard hit ball rate and all that stuff, and that's fine and good. But the discourse Mark and I had about the Fielding Bible Awards that um, I think he did it for Sports Info Solutions before, and I. I know I voted on it. I think you did, and I think Jason did as well, or you have been voting on it each year. Is that the case? I didn't actually vote last year because I had too many other things pressing, but uh, okay, I did but vote yeah, but, for them from before. Right. Yeah. And so, the like for instance, the first year, I, I just 
I was shocked. You know, I voted and I and I did the research and I looked at stats and all these things. And then, you know, I saw the actual winners and I'm like, what? I said, no, I don't think Jason voted for these guys. And you know, <laughs> I tried to figure it out. But I don't know how much our votes actually went in the final tabulations counted. Um, maybe they had some other people. And like he said, they have people watching here. So I don't, I don't know how they figure out everything, but I just could not wrap my head around how Norichika Aoki was on that list before. Uh, and then, like he talked about Aito Takeda, and I just saw him as being average at best. And, you know, he has no obvious plus skills, no incredible arm, no great speed, no strength, and yet his statistical measurements keep putting up him up there among the best. So I'm wondering, you know, why I, I think I sent mark a dm and i said I, i'm just i'm not sold on these guys I, I i see a bunch of guys like keith moreland remember keith moreland mm-hmm. of the, the coast back in the sure. 80s and and i just screamed balderdash this the, these guys are not the fielding bible award winners and so he you know he looked at the numbers and he got back to me and we just had conversation about it and like i said i think i i always try to point out that there's just different ways to go about watching baseball and figuring out everything and if you statistical based uh, all the time or if you're you know visual and you're trying to eyeball it and you're trying to be the scout and measure things with a stopwatch you know you're not going to see everything and i remember you came back from a, a trip where you covered the orcs uh, team terry terry collins was the manager mm-hmm. and i can't remember the player's name but he said don't watch this guy practice you know, never watch this guy practice. You got to watch him play games because if you watch that guy practice, you'd never put him in the game. And, you know, when you see some guys play, you know, they're just like the managers manage for the entire season. Some of these guys are managing for the entire, uh, managing their bodies for the entire season too. So you can't expect them to go a hundred miles an hour to get, or a hundred percent to get every ball or every, make every play. And I, I don't, you know, we don't know when those, times are you know who has again who has fouled off a ball hit a ball off their foot or off their knee we saw um yuma mune foul a ball off of his kneecap today and ugh, that had to hurt and so he'll be hurting or have a bruise or something but he'll probably be out there next week playing and uh, but that might affect the way he goes about i mean you just you just don't know and so these defensive measurements and everything they just they all they only tell us what happened on the play they didn't they don't tell us where the managers told them that they might have the ball hit to them or where they're hoping to get the ball hit or it, it just tells us what happened on the play. So there's just so many ways to go about watching it. I did enjoy the the talk about Seiya Suzuki. I'm glad that Mark, you know, I just, like I said, I watched some of the games and I was trying to watch as many Seiya at-bats as I could. And I did notice that he was looking at a, a lot of strikes. And that's one of the things you and I talked about before Suzuki went over to the States was that how he has such a good eye and he knows the strike zone. And so I didn't think because he had such a good start in the majors, you know, that first month that I didn't think it it was a matter of him not understanding the strike zone. I think it was a more of a matter of pitchers adjusting to him and knowing that if he knows the strike zone that well, then we're going to have to disguise our pitches even better, our strikes even better and we want them looking like balls more and more so that they end up in the strike zone. So, uh, you know, whatever metrics and, and whatever ways these people use to measure or look at players, there's so much data out there. There's so many ways to look at it. I don't think anybody's particularly right and this guy's wrong or whatever. It's all about winning to me anyway. I don't care how you measure all this stuff. 
it's it's just about winning. But I certainly hope we can have um, Mark back on later in the season because this was really fun. And he did send me some notes on something, so we'll we'll reference him again uh, a little uh, just a, very shortly because mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> we're we'll talking about it soon here. So thank you very much, Mark. And uh, like I said, um, maybe September sometime we'll make a. We'll, well, I'll, I'll, I'll hit you up. I'll DM you again. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, all right. So making a four-seam transition, and it literally is a four-seam transition because Yoshinobu Yamamoto does throw a really nice four-seamer. On Saturday at Cebu Dome or Beluna against the Cebu Lions, uh, Oryx ace Yamamoto throws yet another no-hitter this season. This is his first of his career. He's 23 he wins 2 nothing, strikes out 9. He's pitcher number 86 to throw a no-hitter, and this was no-hitter number 97 in Japanese baseball. And like I said, the fourth of the season in Japanese baseball, he joins Noki Sasaki of the Marines, who threw on April 10th, beating the Buffaloes. Now Higashihama of the SoftBank Hawks, May 11th. He threw his against the Lions. June 11th, Shota Imanaga of the Bay Stars beats the Fighters in interleague with a no-hitter, and then Yamamoto on Saturday. So there has been already a lot of discussion. I saw some chatter on Twitter about the ball. It has to be the ball, this, that, and the other. But I I, I said it last week because we (laughs) just coming off another no-hitter, and I said victimology plays a role in this. And we're seeing the Lions here twice on this list, yet the Lions are not a bad team, not a bad hitting team per se, and have the the guy hitting the <laughs> leading Japan in home runs here. So we had a, a, on the Pacific League English channel uh, today, We uh, on YouTube, we had a, uh, a live broadcast in, on which I discussed this, and I said, hey, listen... Uh, Maybe we're getting to a case because I really haven't seen any evidence of the ball. Have you? Have you seen any? I mean, I know you last week you talked about it being a little bit stored differently and maybe perhaps a little bit uh, less bouncy as it had been in in recent years. Yeah. Well, like I said, I I think that is actually a a factor because there's a number of factors and I don't want to go into too much detail because I, I spent a couple hours writing a long blog post on that this morning. But yeah, I think there are really three factors. One is the ball, and being stored differently makes it uh, keeps it from drying out more, makes it more resilient. What is and it? The the restitution of the yeah. I, I'm guessing that if they measure and and if they announce uh, the the coefficient of restitution, which is how That's much it. of the, how much energy the ball retains from the collision with the bat. Right. Uh, if it's, if it's high, it flies more. And I, my guess is that if the ball is a little, um, has more moisture in it, it will be tend to be a little softer and a little less, uh, a little more flexible and absorb okay. more of the energy rather than, uh, um, right. So you said three. So one was the ball. So one of, and two? another has to do with the pitching and another has to do with the, changing approach in Japan. They're all sort of inter intertwined and changing the pro- approach in, in what specifically in hitting. Well, uh, basically we've had a, uh, you know, because Japan's had, you know, soggy lumpy baseballs in the past. I know what that's like, <laughs> I'll bet you do. 
And they didn't have all that many more no-hitters than we've got now. And the, the reason for that was guys weren't trying to hit home runs. Well, we're in an era now where more and more guys are trying to hit home runs, which is, a, which is fine. But the problem is if the ball isn't traveling, a lot of those balls that were well hit aren't going to be home. They're going to be outs instead of home runs. So there are a number of those balls. Uh, so that's one thing. And then the other thing is the pitching, which uh, Steve at uh, Love Marines uh, pointed out. The pitching has improved, and I, and I think that is also true. So a bit on a on a real short take without going into all the historical details, I think it's the combination of those three things. Okay, and I see I, that I, I see that in the I I see that stuff in the numbers. Um, so when I look at delta graphs and I look at different things, I see okay, this is um, changes in the in the tendency of batted balls by league has gradually shifted. And so when you get okay. a mushy ball, it, it makes more of a difference than it nor it would have like ten or fifteen years ago. Yeah, I, I guess there are a few things to keep in mind now. Uh, again, victimology, like I said, uh, the, the Lions having been no hit twice. That's a it's a first time that one team has been no hit in the same season uh, in fifty one years, and then we haven't had this many. <laughs> yeah, and and we haven't had this many no hitters in, since the the two league system was formed. So uh, that's a big deal, and then. Mm. What we talked about on the broadcast today, I said, well, I, I really haven't seen, I mean, I, to my eyes, I, I haven't seen the ball reacting that much differently. I, when guys are hitting it, they're hitting it. And uh, it doesn't seem like, I mean, that that might stop some balls in the air, but I don't know what, what's going to stop the balls on the ground getting through the, the, the infield. But if you say the numbers are down, but I, I also think that another factor, like you said, increased or improved pitching. And... While they don't do extreme shifts, I do think that all the work that they have been doing, the teams have been doing to put themselves in better uh, fielding positions, so making some kind of adjustments in the, where they're standing uh, defensively, that is coming coming to fruition in terms of, of helping prevent runs from being scored mm. or hits to going through. So I think it's a combination of those. But the guys, let's look at the guys who have thrown the no-hitters. I mean... Sasaki, we can throw him in elite. I think Higashihama had a season where he was elite. Uh, he did lead the league in, in wins one year. Shota Imanaga was on track to be elite. He had he got sidetracked by injuries. And Yoshinobu Yamamoto is elite again. So it's not like we've had pitchers who probably we would never imagine throwing no-hitters, throw no-hitters. So I think we've had quality guys on the mound doing it. Mm-hmm. And so I think you have to look at that as well. And and the defenses behind them have been pretty good. Uh, maybe maybe Yokohama not as strong. So the fact that Imanaga wasn't didn't strike out a whole a whole bench worth of guys and <laughs> and still ended up with a no hitter is impressive. But um, you know he didn't give up a lot of hard contact in his game. And you know to be honest, I don't think uh, I didn't get to see all the pitches in this game with Yamamoto on Saturday, but he was pretty he was pretty effective and uh, he struck out nine, uh, he walked one, but he got away with a lot of mistakes. I don't think he was at the top of his game. He said that after the game, some guys on Proyaki News mentioned that he they didn't think that he was in his best form this particular day. So I just think that maybe. It's, we've had this randomness kind of occur 
in bunches this season. I don't think Sasaki's was random, but uh, Hiyashihama maybe a little bit. And again, victimology. The other two teams that have been no hit, the fighters have not had a good season and the Buffaloes have not had a good season offensively. And the Lions just appeared in the top three. So we're not talking about some of the top teams as well. So I, I just, I don't think... I'm just not sold yet on the on the ball being that much of a factor. It probably no, has been a little bit of a factor. The, yeah, one of the things. And but I think it, it is relative to guys. Um, it's it is relative because of other things. No, because I, I'll tell you, my first thought about is the ball can't be a factor because we're not talking about. You know, we're not talking about shutouts. We're talking about hits. Right. Right, so that was my first my first inclination was the ball ain't a factor, but the problem is if more and more guys are trying to hit fly balls, and they're trying to hit them harder, then, <laughs> but they're not, you know, so it's it's almost like they bought into a losing. Um, a lot of guys have placing bets on on poor bets right now is the way i see right but but i think and like you said in terms of approach i think you can change that in a game especially when you get midway through a game when you say hey look we don't have any hits let's let's do this let's go for um something else other than the home run or or an extra base hit let's just try Mm -hmm. to get the ball through the i mean it's possible they can it is possible but then you have to explain why uh hitters in mlb basically there's a handful of hitters in MLB who will bunt against a shift. (laughs) And virtually everybody gets shifted on, but I did like your comment about the shift because that had, that had, you know, it's still, it's still not extreme, but we have, I have seen a couple of teams It used to be just the fighters, but the swallows will sometimes play three guys on once on the right side of the infield. You rarely see anybody shifting um, to the left side. But uh, three guys to the right of the end of second base is I've seen the Swallows do that. I've seen the Giants do that a couple of times. So, yeah, I think that's that's it, because I've seen those guys, you know, the second baseman playing 15 steps behind first base, make it, you know, you know, get a ball that was going to be a single. So, right. It's it's probably, you know, the shifts are probably taking away a few hits every week. And I, and I just, I, I frankly think, I mean, th- when I see these comments on Twitter or any any other place on social media, I, I just think it's lazy. I, I don't think that you can just say, well, it must be the ball. Because certainly that's the easy thing to point to. It's just like, you know, how do you pick the best defensive player in the NFL? You, you, you don't count interceptions and sacks. You got to look at the games and see who's really having an impact and who causes so many problems. And I think that's the same thing here. We've got to look deeper uh, than just you know on the surface and, and point to the easy thing, which is the ball. Now, Mark Simon, as I mentioned earlier, he did send us some stats on the Yamamoto no-hitter. He said, uh, this is Mark saying this, the big pitch for Yamamoto on Saturday was the splitter. He got 26 strikes on 34 splitters that he threw, 10 swings and misses. He got seven outs with the splitter, and the average speed was 140 five kilometers per hour on those pitches. So uh, thank you for that, Mark. That was awesome. And um, yeah, again, I, you know, splitter, uh, 
at least, uh, you know, the thing that I was most happy about, and I think Yamamoto afterward, he was going to do an Imanaga and just kind of play it cool, but everybody else just kind of went nuts and started hugging him. He was shaking the hand of, I think it was Kenya uh, Wakatsuki, his catcher, and him. He was just going to shake hands with Wakatsuki, and uh, and the guy just, just hugged him, and then everybody came out with the water, and then we saw the smile. I'm like, this is what you're supposed to do with a no-hitter. This, this, yeah. this is it. Roki <laughs> Sasaki has broken Japanese baseball with all that cool. <laughs> <laughs> everybody's trying to be cool as cool as he was like after his perfect game he's going yeah well i'm kind of happy about this um any other questions <laughs> i'll be back <laughs> we'll be back well that's cool so uh you, obviously i said it last week uh, should we expect more and now i'm just wondering uh when <laughs> and where <laughs> and i'm expecting at least one more this season i just don't bunch them together guys let's spread them out a little bit <laughs> well i did mention well actually i didn't mention because you you said you know this is the first time since night well i don't know if you said it, it was 1943 it was 1943 the last time japan had four no hitters in a season 1940 they had five when you know again they were using this lumpy misshapen ball that lost its shape very easily and the thing we have seen this year that we've never seen before, and we haven't even mentioned the two, the two near misses, um, mm-hmm. Roki Sasaki's eight perfect innings, and and Udayono's perfect near miss, which wasn't really a near miss. He threw a nine perfect. He threw innings. a perfect game. Yeah, yeah like I said, it, it counts in my book. It yeah. counts in my book. I'm giving well, it, we you all, the we all subscribe to John's book, so I'll be waiting for that. <laughs> but, That's right. <laughs> that's right yeah I, I know better than not than not to yeah, you burned my book so many years ago you don't even know where the ashes went Ooh. <laughs> hashtag uh, high heat anyway the, i like ooh, but he doesn't deny it <laughs> i was trying to visualize john's books on fire but uh i can't imagine a fire that large <laughs> <laughs> okay no the the thing that i would i guess i'm most interested in is while there have been four no hitters in a season and five no hitters in a season there have never been four no hitters before the end of june yeah so we still yeah. got half a season <laughs> yeah we just still do have half the season and uh it's it's a little scary and um, I'm sorry, Steve, but the team I think that is we had, John and I disagree, but I think the the no hitters uh, somebody has pointed out are a Pacific League thing this year, and I think that may be true. But I think the uh, Lotte Marines, uh, if they're if they're uh, against uh, Takayuki Kato or Naoyuki Wasawa in uh, in Sapporo Dome or against Kodai Senga, perhaps. Or Yamamoto in 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 or in Oryx Land in Osaka, they're pro- they might be next. And yeah, I said it's probably the Dragons. They're due. They're bad, and they're due. <laughs> so I, I would look for them to be no hit. And I can't believe they haven't been no hit already, and that they haven't been shut out more. But perhaps <laughs> maybe Ishikawa, maybe. Uh, Takai Ishikawa will come back soon, and, and I won't have to worry about that because he was their most productive hitter. But um, anyway, we got to move on. Let's continue to talk about the Pacific 
league and talk about the league races. And I think that obviously the biggest series this weekend in terms of the standings was the Hawks playing the Eagles down in Hukoka, and they swept that weekend showdown. And it was close, but I think the way they beat up on Masahiro Tanaka on Friday really, really made a statement, and they just finished it off by sweeping. And now they're, they've got a game and a half, I believe, lead in the standings. And they hit four home runs off Maku, and then it had to be easily, I didn't see quotes from him, but the worst start of his career in terms of, you know, giving up. And, and I saw some of the pitches uh, – one of them maybe could have gotten by uh, Ulysse Bell Grossel, who lined it out to right. <laughs> it was a little low line drive that just cut through the wind. If, the, if you could imagine wind in a domed stadium, but uh, <laughs> I think I was fearful for the fans who were sitting there because that's one you just want to get out of the way of. But uh, yeah, these home runs were pretty. I mean, one of them went into the terrace, uh, another one went into the seats. Uh, I can't recall. There were so many. <laughs> and I'm sure Maku Ma, Ma probably saw it the same way. Like, there's so many of these things going out. I don't know what's happening. But uh, did you get to see any of that game? Oh, yeah. Actually, I watched most of that game. So, yeah, mm. it was it was pretty – it was a pretty fearsome beating. I mean, <laughs> it, it started with – it started as it does with Yuki and Nagita hitting – in fact, that was sort of like – the thing that happened, it was he was he was he cruised through the first inning, and then he got to Yuki and Agita, and he he did one of those. Okay, he hung a fork ball a little bit. It was it was it was it was he was probably trying to throw it below the zone, and he, it got up to the bottom of the zone, but it was away, and he hit it off the end of his bat, and it's like this ball has no purpose like being anything it was one of those ones where the second he hit it he went damn i missed that oh hold on that's a home run i better run kind of yeah, yeah. Uh, which we see him do uh, on about about a quarter or a fifth of his home runs and so from and after that he kind of got messed up and he started throwing cookies and missing the zone and he loaded the bases and he pitched out of that jam but then you know the the roof kind of the sky kind of fell on him and yeah. uh, it wasn't it wasn't really pretty. He was not locating his pitches, and they were a little they didn't have much on him. And it was his uh, it was the fifth game as a in his fifth game uh, in his career where he allowed four home runs in a game. But it was the first one in Japan. Yeah, I, as soon as it got to three, I think I, I you I, did, and I, I I thought well he must have allowed well wait a minute the, the people who don't know who don't know what we're talking about yet if you don't let me say it <laughs> I, I tweeted out that this must be a career worst for for Tanaka I can't remember any time that he gave up a two uh, three home runs I remember when he came back in his first game uh, at uh, at Tokyo Dome and I think Sho Nakata and who was the other unlikely it was Kensuke Kondo. Uh, Kondo took him out, and then we were talking about the two home runs he gave up and his return to MPB. But, uh, yeah, three home runs in a game, and I tweeted out, this has to be uh, a career worst. And then? Well, then I looked. <laughs> which I was hoping you would, and you just read you read my tweet and my mind at the same time. You're a two-way well, player. It's, no, well, what it is is John, John is this kind of cool dad mind control. <laughs> <laughs> See, you, I didn't yeah. know if you would read the tweet, but I knew if you read the tweet that you, you would it would get your spidey 
sense is tingling. Yeah. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> oh, I've got to, I've got to like turn my the power off on my phone so he doesn't like trigger some sort of rabbit hole internet database search at three in the morning. <laughs> this is bad, bad John. <laughs> so you found that it was indeed a career worst, and then he he, he put the cherry on top by giving up a fourth. <laughs> yeah, and seven runs were worst he's allowed in Japan. So yeah, it was an overall bad, bad game. It was the game, you know. Uh, one of my coworkers said really liked the one where I wrote that it said uh, this when I mentioned that Kodai Senga was pitching for the Hawks and despite having, you know, two of the biggest names in Japanese pitching on the mound, facing each other on the mound, this game quickly lost any pretext of being a pitcher's duel. It was, it was a (laughs) bloody mess. Right. And then today I'm skipping over the, the Ukyo Shuto winning the game with a walk, uh, unlikely walk off home run in the middle game. You had your buddy Tsuyoshi Wada, Throwing oh, five point yeah. one or five and a third perfect innings today, and then only hit he allowed was a home run, and then they go on to win this game. So it's a pretty sound uh, sweep, in, in my opinion. It I mean, was. the games were close. So, they, yeah, yeah, they, they they looked really good in terms of, of the Hawks being the Hawks. And so my question to you, uh, when the Eagles have surprised us, I think I, I, last year I think a lot of us thought that they were going to be good. This year, I thought a lot of us thought that they were going to be not championship worthy, but very good. And series in June don't really mean all that much. It's, you know, people say statement this and statement that. But yeah, they, they threw out Tomohisa Ozeki, a guy who signed as a developmental player. And that uh, uh, when everybody, it seems, around the league were throwing out their aces on Friday night. Uh, and then it looked like we we're going to get top of the uh, top of the rotation guys. We ended up with a developmental guy for the Soft Bang Hawks, and they still win the game. Well, on so, Friday and Saturday. Yeah, well, they won them all. So, oh, that's right. Yeah, so yeah, um, well, half the Hawks are developmental guys, so I don't really think that's much of a thing anymore. Well, because they have such good development that it doesn't really matter where those guys start yeah, <laughs> so much. Much not they, now. Yeah, so. Um, It'll be interesting, and I did notice that the the Buffaloes today, instead of throwing uh, Hiroya Miyagi, they seem to be saving him because they're going to be going up against SoftBank starting on Tuesday, so I expect to see uh, Miyagi then throw. But um, your your thoughts about the race here in the Pacific League? After yeah, this fun stuff. The Hawks are uh, sort of playing about, I, I, you know, they're sort of about playing where we expect them to play. You know, despite missing, and I, of course, the big thing, the big thing coming back for them, what is has been Yurisbel Graciel, because mm-hmm. he was uh, he was completely missing last year, with a yep, you know, the, well, missing most of the year, and Alfredo de Spagnes, uh coming back, and he's fit, which was really important because they lost Ardiodia uh, Kurihara. Yeah, yep. so that was a big that was a big loss, and. But Ozeki's development's a good thing. The, the Hawks really, I guess the big surprise for the Hawks this year has been Taisei Makihara uh, putting on his little first half Superman suit. Mm. And he had the, he had the, the one of, one of my two favorite lines, hero interview lines of the weekend was, well, they batted me 
on Saturday, they batted me between Alfredo Despina. I mean, he's just a little little guy. Little a little twig of a guy. Nub- yeah, a yeah, little <laughs> nub of a guy. Um, <laughs> utility infielder, outfielder came up after really, really, you know, with not, although he did hit a, his first career home run was a grand slam. He was not like a big power hitter. He's, I think he hit 15 or something in his career. Mm-hmm. And he had a three-run homer on Saturday. That was the decisive blow. And he says he's basically an end of the bottom of the order, top of the order guy. And he was he had this thousand OPS in the top of the order for most of the <clears throat> first couple of months of the season, and batting first and second. So they they dropped him into the into the fifth slot between Despaigne and Graciel. And he said, look, they sandwiched me between these two big Cuban guys, so I felt like I had a bat like a big Cuban guy, too. <laughs> and he did. He, he did. did indeed, yes. So I'm glad to see the Lote Marines closer to 500 instead of uh, hanging out near uh, almost 10 below. Uh, the Lions, really, their bullpen really – has surprised the heck out of me. I didn't think they, you know, I thought what the starting pitching was going to do what it really essentially has done, which has just been spotty at times. Uh, they've getting, gotten some good uh, performances, but other times not so much, but they've generated a lot of offense and covered up that. But uh, the bullpen is, seems to me, I mean, they, they had a game today, took pulled the starter, uh, Kaito Yoza, out after four innings and bullpen posted five, scoreless innings and barely gave up any runners and uh was really sharp so they're good they're right around 500 orcs kind of fading here not having the kind of season that kind of magic that we saw a lot of times last year so it's just different um they're probably having to make adjustments and all that that kind of season that you have after winning a, a league championship where everybody's out to get you because you won so just different but um I do like the fact that my pick is is starting to play a little bit better. And you look at number, you look at the number of wins: Lotte thirty-two, uh, Rock ten thirty-five, SoftBank thirty-seven wins, uh, Sable also has thirty-seven wins and thirty-one for Oryx. So everybody's still kind of bunched together, in my opinion. I'm not really worried about who's where at the moment. Just looking for my picks to do well. Uh, <laughs> which I always do. I just root for my picks every year. Uh, in the Central League, we saw the Swallows jump out to a sizable lead by crushing the Pacific League in interleague play. You were and caught had up a in the World Wide Web. And pushing their lead up to seven and then coming out of interleague play and sweeping their series with the Carp. And now that lead is ballooned. And I'm just thinking now, uh, it's not over. I, I not will not say that in June, you know, <laughs> that it's over. But uh, with a nine-game lead here over the Giants, who don't look all that great. The Giants won today, but they lost two in Nagoya. I, I will guess you're the resident Swallows fan. How do you feel when you see the team operating the way it is, playing really well, and with a, a, a sizable lead here about halfway through? They're, they're playing the way I thought they might play this year um Mm -hmm. and i thought they i thought they were a really easy pick for first although i think i'm the only but the person who picked them to to win this year in our survey but the the things that they did well i mean i mentioned this to to john 
on I think on Twitter or maybe last week on the show, and you know all that you know the, the stuff about the swallows, the bullpen. You know, can will they be deep enough to handle long games? This is well, they really haven't needed to because pretty much their games have been over after about the seventh inning. <laughs> uh, but the bullpen has been even better than last year, even though Noboru Shimizu has not been as good as he's, he was the last couple of years. But Scott McGuff has has been is better this year than he's ever been. Mm. Uh, and a bunch of they've got a bunch of new guys in there. And the I mean things like Kazuto Taguchi, who basically was kicked off the Giants because he didn't throw hard enough has found the fastball he never had with the Giants. And he's Well, he's certainly spotting it and and, sure. and using other pitches off of it. Yeah, but he, he he's Mr uh he's Mr Clutch Bullpen. He's 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 bullpen weapon guy now. He's the guy you bring in when there's trouble. You know, well, sixth he, inning. Yeah, he's he's all over the place, you know. He's seventh their, their fifth inning guy, their seventh inning guy, their eighth inning guy in a pinch. Um he's all over the place and he is he fits that mold of the Swallows pitchers, which is, you know, we saw today with, with uh, Masanori Ishikawa, which is you throw strikes, um, get ahead in the count, and if the guys are going to try to ambush a first pitch, you know, then make mm-hmm. them guess what kind of pitch, it, you know, give them, you know, throw something in the, you know, throw a good pitch in the zone for the first pitch and, and mix it up. So it's not always going to be a fastball and it's not always going to be a slider, but, you know, mix it up and make them guess so they don't get a really good swing on it. And if they hit, you know, somebody said during the the Hawks broadcast when Igor Omogi took Tsuyoshi Wada deep with one out in the sixth for the only hit he allowed in six innings, he said... Mm-hmm. That's exactly what you should be doing, challenging hitters, you know, and if they, and you know basically make the guy try to try to hit hit a home run and you know make him you know swing hard and, and guess and he, he guessed right and he hit a home run and you know more power to him, but it's it's a really you know it's like saying we're gonna make you shoot only three pointers in basketball, but we're gonna make you shoot them from half court. so if you stay ahead in the count you know you basically put that's the swallows game and they played it uh, exceptionally well Uh, and uh, the other thing i would say well we had the other the other good quote we had i have to mention this the other good quote hero interview quote was when they asked 42 year old masanori ishikawa about his teammates he says you know they give me courage and you know that old man Aoki really came through for me today. So oh, yeah. I called him Uncle Uncle Aoki because he's forty, and he, he said it. He gave that little, the, the little, you know, he, he looked to the side, you know, like to see if anybody was watching watching him. Said that it was really good right. and deadpan. So. Right, and the other big team that has made a move. I think both teams are uh, eleven and two here in June, and that's Hanshin uh, along with uh, Yakult. And the Tigers have made a big jump and they mm. had been toiling away in last place. And we were wondering after every seemed they lost every game in April. And we thought either we thought Akihiro Yano was either going to do something desperate with his life or <laughs> just quit. And he didn't. And they kept pushing forward. And I kept telling people, well, I think they can aim for third place and uh, see what happens after they get there. Well, they're there in third place now. They moved up. Uh, this week, and 
31 and 36. They were nearing 20 games under 500, it seemed, uh, early mm-hmm. on. But now they're four and a half games behind the Giants, who are mm-hmm. nine games out. So uh, they're within sight, and they still have a lot of chance, uh, big chance because we have a half a season left. Sure. Uh, of course, the other thing is, I think the thing about the Central League is that there's really no telling at this point <laughs> who's going to finish second through sixth. Even, I, you know, I, I wouldn't bet on the, the Chinichi Dragons and the DNA Base Stars simply for the reason that it, whatever record you have, if, if those are the runs you're scoring and allowing, like you're giving up far more runs than you're scoring. Mm-hmm that's it's a it's a bigger predictor of your future wins than how many wins you have now sure okay so if i don't see those and let you know unless something miraculous happens I, those two teams are probably going to be slugging it out for last place the rest of the season but i think the carp giants and tigers are going to be you know fighting to see which one earns a shot uh, to you know, to to wait and get, when the swallows slip up, when the swallows go through a bad spell, they're playing a little over their head right now, and you know they'll the breaks will stop going their way, and you know they'll they'll play five hundred or or less for a few weeks, and one of those three teams is going to have to step up and you know and say we are deserving. Right, and we've seen uh, Yusuke Oyama, who's been seems like he is hitting one or two home runs every day. And uh, he's having a great June, so he's the front runner for uh, Player of the Month or Hitter of the Month in June. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Giants are there. They're, they're just like I said, they have so many young pitchers. I just think that in the second half, that is either going to catch up with them uh, in some form or fashion. A, the guys could just get tired, the arms could get tired, or B, they just um, they might get figured out and not be as effective. But uh, they'll probably pick up another. A foreign player in the second half, and I, I just anticipate them making the playoffs. But yeah. Uh, yeah, the other two teams certainly have a chance. I don't. I agree with you. I don't think the the Giants have just. I'm sorry, the Dragons and the Bay Stars have shown enough bad. I, I, I actually think that the Bay Stars have played so much better. They probably deserve a better record um, than they have right now because they score runs, but they somehow end up losing games and well they had a their bullpen was really was really poor at the the first month and a half of the season but since uh yasaki yamasaki has found his mojo the last six weeks yeah i think Mm. they're they're much more of you know this is the team we we expected so I, i i i see that as well um the thing about the giants i mean you have to always balance the fact that they they played they played most of May and June uh, well they played uh, for about a month without Hayato Sakamoto mm-hmm. and he's just been he's just a wonderful player I mean he, he um, he's been although he, yeah although Go ahead. Go ahead. he's a wonderful player and they really missed him uh, and then they've still got you know they've like the questions you asked about Rock Ten, somebody, one of these Rock Ten fans um, on Twitter was saying, like, you know, the Eagles did this last year. They they played really well in the first half, and they looked like they were going to be winners, and then they sort of like uh, tweedledummed themselves to death. And the Giants are the. Uh, I see that happening a little bit with the Giants. You know, you sort of like, do you? 
how how many times can Tatsunori Hara keep doing weird stuff that people are not going to get demoralized? You know, dear, we're we're doing weird stuff and saying uh, I know what I'm doing because I'm in the Hall of Fame and have won pen, seven pennants. You know, how mm-hmm. how many more days will it be till he says to the Giants, "I'm willing to accept a contract extension through <laughs> through 2030." <laughs> I'm willing. <laughs> the way he did last year, right? Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I'm when, willing to come back. What do you by all about, intents yeah? and purposes, the team looked like they were trying to fire him. <laughs> Replaced him. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say about Sakamoto that he he's starting to look a, a little bit below average to me defensively. And I saw a okay. couple plays mm-hmm. in that series against the Dragons, and uh, he just he didn't look good going. And now he might not be a hundred percent healthy. Sure, so he's got a knee injury. He's dealing with a knee injury. So, but I did see some slippage. And Hasn't hurt him at the plate though. Boy. Yeah, as long as he can hit, he'll be fine. He can certainly make up for it. But yeah, I, I, you know, the Central League, I, I do think the Carp and the Dragons and the Bay Stars probably are the bottom three teams, and I don't think that's any surprise. Um, one note about the Dragons: they uh, officially announced the conversion of infielder slash outfielder Akira Neo to pitcher, and. You know, we had a recent question about it. I wasn't certain that that was in the plans, and I joked that he's he's more of a no-way player than a two-way player at the moment, but uh, perhaps if he focuses on the pitching side, he can be effective in some way, and he did have an outing today, and while you were talking, Jim, I did call it up on YouTube and see that he struck out Kazuma Okamoto, and, uh, you know, he doesn't really particularly look like a pitcher with his form when he throws, but it... it, it it has improved since the last time I saw him on the mound. He looked more like a pitcher today with the outing that he had. Uh, he's throwing 150 kilometers in that range, uh, and that's you know on the fastball. That's that's good, and he might be able to. Get, he's not. He's a, still a small guy. He's very mm-hmm. slight. He's, he's not. Yeah, very looks big. more like a, le- a guy you would you would expect to be who's a lefty because little lefties tend to be the. Or, or the tiny, the tiny tosser they have on there, Takumi okay, yeah. Yamamoto. So, uh, yeah, he, he doesn't look very. I don't know how much his mechanics improvement will help him with the speed or the, you know, the location and uh, command and all that stuff. But he, he looked, he looked good in his little outing today. And I, I'm not sure how many top team appearances he's going to get. But the good thing is having a guy like that on the on the on the bench you can put him in as a pitcher or a pinch hitter or a pinch runner he, he's very athletic you can certainly play him in the outfield as well sure so if he you could can, bring you could bring him into face face a right-hander bring in you know and, and switch him to right field or something you know if, if or you know he could play anywhere on the anywhere on the field so if you had somebody he, who couldn't hit you know if you had a guy who's with no bat playing second you could flip them and have him come back and face another right-hander so it's all kinds of fun things you can do with him. Um, right. And I expect to see, I expect that to be fun. I'm looking forward to it. That's all pretty much all they got going here. And yeah, uh, one other note before, before we leave, uh, Shingo Takatsu, the uh, Yakult Swallows skipper, uh, I think he was, he, he inked a two-year extension. Uh, I know he was offered it, and I'm assuming, having not read the story completely, is that the case that he signed it? I do not know, but I know they offered him a two-year extension, which I right. Yeah, I should have clicked on that and read through it, but and that's good. I I, I can really understand why the wall the swallows would sign up for more of, of what they're getting from him. He has been a strong leader. We talked about the leadership last year when we talked to Tony Barnett and 
Aaron Guile, former players who are now advisors and scouts for the Swallows in the States. And Takatsu has shown really good decision-making, really good game management, and obviously they're having success uh, in the wins-losses, which really counts a lot, especially among the fans. But I, I just like the whole growth of the entire – Yeah, every player, it seems, every player who comes up and has come up under his direction has had a purpose, and every at-bat has a purpose. Yep. And – the pitchers are executing what they're supposed to do, regardless of what the results are. They're just sticking to whatever the game plan is. It just it just seems very organized, very businesslike, and yet they're having fun. You can tell they're having fun, and winning, of course, breeds that kind of fun, but I think it's genuine. I think whether they were at the top of the standings right now or maybe not, not last place, but third place, something like that in, in the hunt, I think it would be the same atmosphere. I think so. You know, I think what they, they're, they, like I said, I think they play really ironically high percentage, you know, they play a high percentage um, at the, at the most basic level, which is all both batting and pitching, um, trying to control the strike zone as batters and, and as pitchers. And they, they do a pretty good darn a darn good job of it. They they remind me a little bit of the way um, Bobby Valentine's Marines were when they led the Pacific League in fewest walks for about three or four years in a row. Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. they you know they kind of have a trademark. They've got a way to play. They're not they're not just random. It's it's just not a random collection of guys doing different things. I mean they all have different skills, but uh, sure. It's like they said, "Look, this is going to win us games, so let's do our best." And instead of, you know, just do things randomly. Uh, I'm I'm right there with you, and I'm I'm glad that we see the same thing. I just see a lot of organization, a lot of uh, purpose in what they're doing, and uh, and I think that's conveyed on in the wins and losses for that team. Other other teams in the in the Central League, Dragons don't seem to be <laughs> don't seem to have anything figured out. But I'm glad the Dragons stopped beating their heads against the their, their collective heads against the wall and took Diane Viciedo and and sat him down a game uh, and said, "Hey, look, you know, <laughs> we need more. You know, <laughs> we just need more. Uh, and if it's not more, it'll certainly be different." But um, that's it for this week. We do have this question uh, or comment on deck. And doggone it, if they don't keep throwing no-nos and pushing <laughs> you guys' questions off to the side, uh, we will definitely get it. Maybe we won't have a guest next week and we'll just have more time to talk about uh, a couple of the comments that we have gotten. But it's a good one, and I do want to spend some time on it. So uh, we'll, we'll do that for sure next week. Anybody who has a question, send it to yakyujohn at gmail.com via email. Hit us up on Twitter at JBW Podcast with the hashtag High Heat or leave a note on the Facebook page. Uh, MP3s, we have not gotten any of those in a while. And I tell you, when I do get them, I try, I try to get those on first. So that'll push you to the front of the line here. But uh, we first, we got to stop with all the no-nos and the other news and we can get to these questions. But, yeah, uh, pictures, cut us some slack, man. <laughs> all right. We will talk to you next week. Enjoy your baseball. See you at the ballparks and look me up at jballallen.com. Follow the hosts on Twitter at jbwpodcast and at jballallen. And feel free to submit your questions by email or tweet with hashtag highheat. Thank you for listening to Japan Baseball Weekly. 